0: Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Kino, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Tuesday, February the 13th, 2024. Some issues never seem to go away, uh, particularly those surrounding the implications, economic and otherwise, of slavery. A few years ago, we did a show on the deep ties between slavery and Wall Street with a writer, Jonathan Daniel Wells. He had a a new book out at the time, The Kidnapping Club, uh, Wall Street, Slavery, and Resistance on the Eve of Civil War. We touched on the issue of reparations then, and we've discussed it in lots of uh, shows since, but we're going to address it squarely uh today with my guest who has a new book out this week uh he isn't beating around the bush he has a new book it's called the stolen wealth of slavery a case for reparations the author is david montero and he is talking to us from boston uh, i'm interested david the, the subtitle of the book is a case for slavery rather than the case uh, does that suggest that there are many cases
1: well it suggests that black people especially have been making the case for reparations for a very long time and what my book uh, strives to do is amplify those voices add to the argument by looking at the issue from a particular angle um, so it is, it is a case because it is part of a stream of cases, and I think that's a good thing that there are many different voices talking about this issue.
0: As I suggested, um, we did the show, I'm sure you're familiar with uh, Jonathan Daniel Wells and his book about the ties between slavery and Wall Street during and before the Civil War. Your argument is also a financial argument. It's about what you call the stolen wealth of slavery and these intimate associations between 19th, 18th and 19th century American bankers and the slave industry. Is that fair?
1: Yeah, what What the book really tries to do is put a new lens onto the issue of enslavement by following the money. And what I mean by that is I looked at and wanted to understand who really profited from slavery. What did they do with that money and how did they make it? And that journey led me to understand that although slavery took place in the South, the wealth that it generated and that enslaved people created did not principally benefit the South. The money did not stay in the South. The money moved and it really fertilized the industries and the the banks and the merchant houses of the North because they controlled, and through financing and other means, the actual system of slavery. So um, yeah, I I wanted to look at deeply by following the money. Who, who, Who was making this money and who was putting money into slavery, who was taking money out of slavery? And the answer increasingly pointed me towards the North and towards Wall Street.
0: Your career so far as a journalist has focused on money. Your last book was Kickback, exposing the global corporate bribery network. So you're all too familiar with Dirty Money. We've done lots of shows on Dirty Money. Are you suggesting, though, uh, David, that there was a a conscious effort on the part, particularly of Wall Street and northern bankers, to profit from slavery? Did the bankers know what they were doing?
1: Oh, absolutely. 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 I mean, we have to remember that at the time, in the early 1800s, one of the most lucrative businesses in America was the the production and export of cotton. It was a multi-million dollar, what would be now a multi-billion dollar industry. Banks on Wall Street knew this. I mean, the country as a whole knew this. They wanted a slice of the pie. They took increasingly a bigger slice of the pie. In, in, in numerous ways, but one of them was by lending money to plantations. Plantations needed money to buy enslaved people, to buy more land, and to ship their goods, because the goods didn't stay in the South, they went to markets around the world. Yes, these bankers very consciously made, made a stake in, a stake to claim in this business. Let me just also say that The way they became bankers in the first place and created some banks that we know today was by first being involved in this industry. What I trace in the book is that people who started out as merchants on Wall Street, meaning that they owned maybe one ship or three commercial ships, began sailing to the south and and buying cotton or lending money to enslavers for their plantations and then shipping the cotton. With that money, they became more and more wealthy. And what they started doing in the early part of the 1800s, by around 1812, 1815, was forming banks. So that is the origin, for example, of Citibank. So it was yes, it was a very conscious effort on the part of Wall Street bankers to to capture this business to profit from enslaved people's labor.
0: Yeah, you're right about the the famous Citibank of New Yorker, uh, President Moses Taylor, who. Uh, at least, according to you, I'm quoting, conducted immense sums of money from slavery. The logic here, though, David, as you know, I mean, you've already been making this argument. You will continue as the book um, uh, as the book creates one kind of controversy or another. Um, at what point does the logic of this argument hit a wall? I mean, couldn't you make the same argument about colonialism, for example, that there's the stolen wealth of, 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 of colonial wealth and that all of Africa and much of Asia and Latin America should get reparations from European powers, and for that matter, um, American settlers should be paying reparations to indigenous, uh, the indigenous peoples who originally inhabited uh, this uh, this continent.
1: Sure, uh, you know, and that is a valid argument, and people are making that argument, and I think they are justified in making it. Uh, w- one of the things that I'm trying to argue in the book is that we should be looking at this issue specifically from the standpoint of banks and Wall Street, because those are not only the entities and the institutions that profited from this wealth, this stolen wealth. That money still exists, that wealth still exists. We know this because in a sense, the banks are, tell, tell us that themselves. They like to celebrate their long history, their long lineage, they do not say, for example, Citibank, today we are a different bank than the bank that was formed in 1812. If you go to their website, they proudly say that we're the same bank. We have, we have a, a track record of financial excellence that stretch, stretches back to that time. They happen not to mention that that time was a time of slavery and that's how they made the, the seed capital and the foundational wealth that they now enjoy today. Um, so what I'm, uh, but David. Is- that's, you know that's a,
0: a convenient argument for you. I mean, they the, these banks that those arguments are made by their marketing departments to give them some sort of historical credibility. They're not justifying it in terms of their association with slavery.
1: No, no, they avoid talking about their association with slavery. But what what? What they, what they proudly do is talk about their lineage. Part of their value as a brand is how old they are, how they've been able to survive for 200 years or 150 years as a corporation. Part of the way they've survived for 150 years as a corporation is by protecting the wealth that they initially made through enslavement or through shipping the goods that enslaved people made. So if they are allowed to say, today, our corporation exists because of our long history in protecting wealth for our clients and for ourselves and by having a track record of success then i think we get to say well that also means that the money you received from slavery from enslaved slave people's unpaid labor also exists in some form that's the purpose of a corporation in the end is to survive and to evolve and that's what they've done with that seed capital
0: so would your argument be given given its logic that banks created since the civil war banks created in the late 19th early 20th century that they shouldn't be liable for reparations it's only the older banks or is it the whole system the whole wall street system or american capitalism
1: well i'm i'm saying both i'm saying it's specific banks i think we can trace that specific banks going starting from 1790 up until the present day they so from 1790 to 1865 they made money from enslaved people's labor all throughout that time these banks through their directors were investing this money into other things part of you mentioned that my background is in looking at dirty money i my first book was about money laundering and that's what i'm saying in this new book the people who made this money while at these banks were laundering it. Essentially, what does that mean? They were taking money from from ill gotten money, I would say, from slavery, and they were transforming it into other forms of wealth. So that made they meant they were investing it into the stock market, into industry, into railroads, into things that went on to survive. Some of which survive to this day. Right, and
0: I, I take your point. I'm, but but, but you're still you're, you're avoiding my question. I mean, should you so, say? perhaps Citibank of New York should be liable, but what about Goldman Sachs or, or Lehman? I mean, they, they were, these were banks formed after slavery.
1: I, th- I, I Yes, I, I mean, I think this is an, an issue that will require nuance to work out. Many banks today are the result of acquiring and swallowing up other banks along the way. So yes, I think writ large, major Wall Street banks have a role to play, should pay reparations because Some of them certainly can we can trace a direct direct lineage back to slavery. Others of them have profited from that system. It's a system of 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 an ethos of doing business, but they also profited because they swallowed up other banks that had been involved in slavery. I think that if so, I think if corporations are going to make the claim that they are corporate citizens that they, they care about the communities from which they derive their wealth. Even even a, a bank that may not have, a, a, we can't easily trace its ties back to slavery, they have a role to play in reparations, in, in the discussion, and possibly in making payments.
0: Where does the argument, though, end, David? Um, what about people who, who wore cotton, uh, manufacturers of cotton, clothing manufacturers? Uh, at what point, do you say, well, actually, these people are, are, aren't are responsible and they shouldn't contribute to reparations?
1: Well, I think one of the ways that I look at this is, again, the, can we trace that the wealth survives? So that's why I'm specifically talking about banks and certain corporations. But you're talking about manufacturing companies, textiles. If some of those corporations existed in the 19th century and still exist today then yes i think that they do their business would not exist their wealth and their evolution to today would not have happened were it not for the unpaid labor of slave of enslaved people so th- yes they have i think a moral obligation to pay reparations no we cannot trace every person who bought a cotton shirt I, uh you know i think that the 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 argument around reparations is people try like to bog it down in these logistical challenges that make it seem so impossible to to achieve this there there is a way i think to look at this through nuance and say you know we even if we can't trace every single person responsible there there are industries that have a role to play there's a way to make meaningful repair
0: is there an international dimension here? If if some of these American banks should pay reparations, what about British banks? What about financiers overseas?
1: Well, absolutely. And the interesting thing, I'm glad you raised the question, is the interesting thing is in the UK, banks, unlike in the United States, are starting to talk about and recognize their, their f- foundational role in enslavement. The Bank of England, for example, Lloyds of London, a huge financial institution. They have finally started to look at their history and say that the British financial construct came to be because of of enslavement. Our profits came to be because of enslavement. They have started talking about this. They have started outlining systems of repair. Um, and, And we've just seen recently in Brazil that prosecutors are now charging the Bank of Brazil, the second largest financial institution in Latin America, with receiving its foundation from enslavement and therefore needing to pay reparations. There absolutely is a global dimension to this issue. And in fact, the U.S. is very far behind. The the, the corporate voice in this issue in the U.S. is very far behind other places in the world.
0: What about the southern dimension? I know you argue that the South has successfully in some ways created an argument about its impoverishment after the the civil war is there is it more than just reparations of of northern banks and the economic system what about the responsibility of the entire south which of course was the the place where uh slavery was practiced
1: yeah, I'm not saying that it is only the obligation of Wall Street or Boston banks. I'm I'm arguing that because they're often left out of the conversation. So much of our f- of the focus around enslavement, its history, and the issue of reparations, uh, I think falls in the South. Yes, Southern banks did they did profit as well from enslavement. They were they were you know at at the front line and the frontier of of, of expanding plantations. They do have a role to play. I'm just arguing that I, act, if you look at, if you follow the money, I think northern banks, specifically on Wall Street, but also in Boston and Philadelphia, made a larger slice of the profits than southern banks did. But yes, there are southern industries, there are southern families, there are southern corporations, there are southern banks. the The, the issue of reparations is an issue that is going to require a broad swath of society, including the federal government, state and city officials, corporations, institutions, families, committing to repairing this damage, specifically through cash payments or other forms of investment, it's north and it's south.
0: I do want to get to the details after the break because I think most people will be thinking, well, maybe there's some argument in theory, but what about the practice? Um, when it comes to the stolen wealth of slavery, what about the stolen wealth of the failure of Reconstruction, for example, in the late 19th century, and of Jim Crow? At what point do, do, does everything become liable, at least in, in your method of argument, for a case for reparations?
1: Well, it's, it's, it's a connected history, right? Yes, j- y- the, 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 the flow from the Civil War... Abraham Lincoln's assassination. Andrew Johnson becomes president. Andrew Johnson renegs on so many things he said he was going to do to hold Confederates and the South responsible, reneged on 40 acres and a mule. And then, we, you know, as a result, there's a sweep of history that leads to segregation, Jim Crow. Yes, but what, what black people have been arguing understandably for a long time is that reparations deal with partially the history of enslavement, but there's a connection in, in this, this the discriminatory policies, practices, and structures that were put in place in that time that led to Jim Crow, that led to discrimination, that led to banks, even as you know, recently as the early 2000s and 2008 during the banking crisis, discriminate, discriminating against black people. It's, it's a continuing dynamic of history. It's a continuum.
0: It's certainly a continuum, and what continues most of all, it's controversy. David Montero, the author of The Stolen Wealth of Slavery, A Case for Reparations. It's a theme, race reparations, which is continually argued in American culture. Uh, Liberties, a quarterly journal of culture and politics, does a good job on this front. I want to remind everyone that high-quality guests like David Montero are brought to us because of Liberties, We're going to run a short feature on Liberties, and then we'll be back with David to talk more about the the practice of twentieth and twenty first century reparations. So don't go away, anyone. The news, the noise, there is nuance, insight. Liberties. It's not just a journal of ideas; it's a meteor of intelligent substance. It's the place to be for engaged citizens, politics, opinion, substance. Liberties is a triumph for freedom of thought, a quarterly of urgency, of cultural exploration, of intellectual delight, of immaculate prose. It's invaluable. Subscribe now or find Liberties at your favorite bookseller. And you can subscribe to Liberties at uh, libertiesquarterly.com. We are speaking with David Montero, the author of The Stolen Wealth of Slavery a book which makes a case, not the case, but a case for reparations. David, don't need me telling you that this issue is very much alive, particularly where I am in California. Uh, California has already introduced. The first in-nation slavery reparations uh, uh, package. Uh, Berkeley, California, over the bay where I used to live, is exploring making reparations to black residents. How is this? in your view, or how should it work? It's becoming more concrete. It's not just an abstract argument.
1: What leading black scholars, observers, thinkers have been saying about this is the following. William Darity, a scholar at Duke, has calculated that it is only the federal government that has the capacity to pay the amount of money truly in reparations that can meaningfully close the wealth gap that exists between white households and black households, he's calculated that figure at 14 trillion dollars. Now we can talk about that in a minute—that that figure and how it would be paid. But his point is that the federal government has the responsibility and the means to pay this primarily. Um, he didn't. He in in his, in his remarks, he's also mentioned this is not a recipe for paralysis for other sectors of society. So he's he has argued, it doesn't mean that corporations have no role. It doesn't mean that universities have no role. It doesn't mean that other uh, sectors of society have no role. Reparations is going to require a, a primary um, impetus from the federal government to make cash payments to black Americans to outline other forms of reparative justice, but it's also going to require corporations to commit to this. Another pioneer in the reparations movement who I feature in my book, D'Adria farmer Palmain, told me, "I I would like to see corporations, major corporations, pay $20 million a year into a trust fund that is administered by black communities. She also added $20 million a year is what major corporations pay their CEOs. It's a drop in the bucket. So corporations, that is one One idea a
0: corporation might push back and say, I don't know. let's take a a Silicon Valley corporation, which only got formed 20 years ago, Google or Facebook and Amazon, they might say, well, you know, I'm troubled, of course, by the history of slavery, but I'm also troubled by the issue of global warming. I'm troubled by the issue of inequality uh, and many other issues, guns. Why should they choose this particular one when they weren't around when, you know, slavery
1: existed? And, and you, you mentioned the operative word there, choice. We have seen in the United States, the, the woman I just mentioned, the Adria Farmer of Palmaine in the early 2000s, tried to sue in the federal courts, a number of corporations, including large banks, for reparations. The, the federal courts have basically said the courts are not the jurisdiction through which reparations can be decided. In other words, you can't force a corporation in America to pay reparations. It's a choice. They're going to have to make, and obviously there's going to be pushback. A lot of corporations, I think, with pressure would, should, and would choose to do this. A Silicon Valley company that formed three years ago, yeah. I think that people again can be nuanced and can be reasonable and say this is a corporation that really is not. Uh, uh, uh,
0: David, you know, people certainly (laughs) mostly aren't particularly reasonable, and they're certainly not reasonable (laughs) on this issue. You talked about black and white households. I mean the you've heard this argument a million times but what about the argument why should whites who came to america after slavery why should they be liable and what about the many black americans who who came to america after slavery you're you're conflating black and white inequality and the consequences of slavery they may be connected but they are
1: also but you're saying you're saying white households that came after came to the united states after slavery shouldn't be liable what does that mean be liable who's going to hold them liable how are they going to be? Well, alive? Why should
0: their argument might be that? Why should their tax money be paid to? Why should their wealth be redirected because, to Black let, Americans let, when
1: they weren't even in the country during the slave period? Because we all, as American citizens, have decided to, to participate in the glory of citizenship in America and there's also a burden of citizenship. We all have to pay taxes for things that we don't agree with. We all pay taxes to fund wars abroad that we may not agree with, other policies that we may not agree with. Nobody's specifically saying a, a, a white family that came from you know, Poland in and, and the 1980s is specifically liable, but this is something that as a society, it it, it, it is, a gaping wound, the original wound for which our country was created. We all have a, a, a responsibility and dimension to play in healing that wound. I, I think saying that these families are unjustly going to be liable, again, this is the way this argument gets twisted. It's, it's something as a, as a country, I feel it is our destiny to look at this wound, to heal it, and if you want to be part of the story of America, that is, that is going to need to be part of your responsibility as a citizen, too.
0: As you know, a lot of people strongly disagree with you. There was some Pew research I found that suggested, surprise, surprise, that blacks and whites are far apart on their view of reparations for slavery in America, where there are already highly inflammatory divisions between blacks and whites, where you have certain politicians who play on those divisions, is this an issue that might only compound those divisions, the threat of violence, the hatred?
1: Yes, but let me just point out one thing. You mentioned this Pew poll, and it's and it is true that white households are the major obstacle to the issue of reparations from the standpoint of public opinion. Something like eighteen to or fourteen to eighteen percent of white households only support reparations. But you know, a small thing. That number is up from four percent in 2000. There is a trend whereby this issue is becoming more of a, a of a palatable issue. It's it, it's an incremental change. It's going to take a long time. Yes, it is not the mainstream of white America does not support this issue. I think part of the reason they don't support this issue is because they don't understand how enslavement created the wealth that our country enjoys as a whole up into this day. Um, will this fan racial division be, uh, sure? I'm sure it will. Uh, y- you know, that, 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 that's something that politicians are going to have been taking an advantage of and will. That doesn't, but that doesn't, uh, that doesn't negate the, the need to do this. How's it supposed to work, David? I mean,
0: what about African Americans who are wealthy? Are they supposed to get reparations?
1: Yes. Yes, I think any black family that can trace its ancestry to formerly enslaved people, yes, they deserve reparations. It's because it's not the, the issue is not just about closing the wealth gap. That is one thing. It's also about recognizing the systemic abuse of black people for centuries in America. You cannot put a price tag on that trauma, on that pain but you know you 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 can through various means including cash payments you can recognize that that is a very american thing to do by the way to recognize pain to try to compensate it through payments yes what what a, a rich black family deserves reparations as much as a poor black family because their their ancestors suffered through that too it's not just about you know well who who is in, who is deserving because they don't they need the money it's, it's, it's going important. to
0: annoy yeah, I take your point it's going to annoy let, let me give you a very personal example. My wife is black I was just in Mississippi with her mother and we went back to the, the shack where she was born. She's directly related to slaves in 19th century Mississippi. She's now very senior at Google much wealthier than I am. Why should I benefit? because ultimately I would benefit uh because of all this and i've got nothing to do with slavery one way or the other and he came to america about 20 but, but, years but,
1: ago I'm not even why, an american citizen why are we looking at how you will benefit why is that the lens why isn't it that her well that's family... how i think people think
0: and yeah, but that's why right should way. i be the beneficiary <laughs> but, but, but see, of
1: but, this policy but, but this is what the problem is like the point is not about like why is, why are we focusing on how this will affect the white people and how white people will you know, unjustly benefit. Why aren't we focusing on your wife's family? That, that's the more important thing. I understand this is how this is going to get twisted, but the more important fact is that your wife's family, who were who and are the descendants of slaves, would, would receive some, some compensation, some recompense for the injustices that they faced and have faced over centuries. That, that's the more important point. Not that you might benefit. Yes. Okay, so every family where a black person is married to a white person, we shouldn't give them reparations? No, no, no. That's 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 just another that's just another boogeyman, I think, or a red herring.
0: Should this be a one time
1: <laughs> payment? Or or is
0: this if, if if you had your way and the federal government did what you want them to do,
1: would this be something that would continue over over generations? Yeah. I mean, again, we're talking about 14 trillion dollars no what nobody expects this amount of money to be paid out at one time in one year. Their brighter minds than, than ours will have to decide how the mechanics of this will work. It can be paid out over 10 years, over 20 years. It can be paid out to one generation of a family to, to another. It's not that yes yeah, so it, it, it most likely it seems practically speaking that this will take the form of, continual payments over a long stretch of time, given that it's a large amount of money.
0: But that's 14 trillion dollars. I mean, what's the the US? What is the the US GMP?
1: Well, I'll tell you that in in 2021, the, the US government spent $6 trillion. So yeah, it's an astronomical sum of money. But look, we're talking about an astronomical crime. there's there's nothing to compare it to. We have no basis of saying, well it's like this or it's like that. The United States became a wealthy country, became what it is today because of this crime. It, 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 you can't expect to have a, you know a, um, an easy uh, analog to compare it to. It is an astronomical sum of money. it's an astronomical wound it's an astronomical injustice. So it's not going to be an easy thing to address, but that again, that is the burden of our citizenship. That is the destiny, I think, of this country is to figure it out. But
0: slavery isn't unique in the United States. In fact, it still exists in some parts of the world.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but that that's not that's not the argument. We're talking about how to repair the injustices of slavery in the United States, what as a country do we owe to our fellow Americans in the form of social justice, reparative justice, in the form of addressing social, social harm? We're not talking about slavery in a different country. We're talking about slavery that happened here, concretely happened here, concretely enriched this country, made it what it is today through wealth. So yes, it is terribly unfortunate that slavery takes place, a modern form of it, around the world. That is an issue that People are talking about and will talk about, but that's 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 separate from the issue of reparations that we're talking about now.
0: If um, David, if black and white households, if their wealth was equivalent, if there was no difference between the wealth and black of blacks and whites today in America, would you still be making
1: the same argument? No, I think I think that well, it would depend because again, this is not just a monetary issue the point of reparations, a big part of it, close the the wealth gap between white households, black households. How we as a country, though, address the issue of the injustice is also a big part of this. It can't be that a corporation pays, and the corporations, by the way, have done this in the past, five million dollars and says, you know, we made some scholarships for black Americans, we're done with this, or we as a country say, well, you know, we earmarked uh, $12 billion to 250 black families, we're done with this issue, no, no more said. There has to be a, a meaningful way that we as a society recognize this, this history and, and repair this damage. We as a society haven't even agreed on certain facts about this history, about how consequential it was, about how much wealth it created.
0: Finally, what what about, I, I brought up global warming before, the bill you say is 14 trillion. I'm guessing that the bill for global warming is higher than 14 trillion. Does this make the argument also that oil companies, for example, or any kind of fossil fuel company should be liable for the damage to the earth?
1: Well, I mean, something that I argue in my book is that the, the, the roots of our environmental crisis, the destruction of the natural environment, the, the, the impunity with which corporations and industry did that, it starts from enslavement. The, 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 the broad hundreds of thousands of acres of plantation land that were created in the South and uh, as labor camps, they were controlled by individuals but also corporations that destroyed thousands of acres of trees and that's where our environmental plight in the United States starts from yes i think that that large oil companies large energy companies ha- that have can, that whose, whose roots are in that history they do have a role to play in this too